Well, I'm going to say good morning, and I invite you to respond like you're excited to be in the presence of God and excited to get into his word. Good morning. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18 uh, in the Red Bibles. That's page 1628. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's a red one right around you somewhere. Uh, And we are in this summer series uh, studying the parables of Jesus, how he taught through stories, metaphors, illustrations. And man, I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying learning from Jesus himself, you know. Uh, it's, It's such rich text. Uh, and unfortunately, we only have one more week next week. Uh, and so I invite you back to come here and learn from our youth pastor, Wopsle, as he will finish our summer series. Today, the parable of the Pharisee and the ta- tax collector. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So Jesus begins by clearly stating his target. To any of you who boast in your actions and think that you're better than others. If you ever think you're better than anyone, this is for you. If you are humble in the way you see yourself, this is for you at some point when you think you're better than other people. So he sets the scene, the temple, and he prepares to make an unexpected religious point through two characters. The Pharisee, an extremely religious person. He kept the law. He was the spokesperson for the religious requirements of that day. And hearing the word Pharisee, Jesus' audience would have been prepared for a bit of tension to follow. See, Pharisees opposed the majority of Jesus' teachings. They were disgusted by the sinful company that Jesus kept. Luke 5.30, here's a few examples. The Pharisees asked the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Luke 7.39, a Pharisee condemns the woman anointed by Jesus. She's just been anointed by Jesus because she's a sinner. Luke 15, 2, Pharisees muttered, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners, tax collectors, eats meals with them. Just say the word sinners like that with me so you feel that. Just sinners. And make this face like disgust. These are gross sinners, aren't they? And then the tax collector. An employee of the foreign government associated with disgust and betrayal. Tax collectors were thieves, they had their post, they took a tax, and mostly uh, took more money than the Roman government authorized them to take. Four consecutive years, I drove across the border from South Africa to Mozambique, four years in a row. The first three years, I went into the border patrol, had a nice little interaction with someone, practiced my Portuguese, and paid $20 for my visa to enter Mozambique. The fourth year, I go inside Border Patrol, same way I have three consecutive years, and I get my $20 out to pay my entrance fee, and the lady says, 100 U.S. dollars, please. And I looked at her, and I said, that's not $100 to get into Mozambique. She said, it is today. 
So I patiently and lovingly argued with her, uh, and she didn't budge. And here's the deal. There was no one to call. There was no customer service. There was no manager on duty. You either pay the 100 U.S. dollars and go where you want to go, or you turn around. And all the fellas with all the big guns didn't care either, probably because they were getting a cut. And I was furious. I was so mad at the corruption and that I was a victim of an $80 upcharge that day. I was furious. These people who were listening to this parable would have been furious too because tax collectors had taken advantage of them one too many times. What do you mean it's $100? I pay 20 every time. It's 100 today. And they pay more than the government uh, charged them and the tax collectors took more than the government authorized them to take. Some in the audience were probably there wondering, why is this tax collector in the temple anyway? What is he doing? Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. <laughs> That's funny. You can laugh. Come on, let God's word just kind of come alive. <laughs> like, like, you come here and hear my sermon and I open, Lord, God, thank you that I'm not like other people. <laughs> Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Pretty nice guy. He stood by himself. He distanced himself from everyone else as if he was a part of an exclusive religious club. Even worse, it was normal to pray out loud. So depending on his volume that day, others maybe heard and felt how insensitive his prayer really was. He stands here, God, thank you that I'm not like them. And they're standing there going, what? I'm in the temple too. I'm trying to be in right standing with the Lord too. Why are you praying about me like that? And here's the thing, his prayer may have been sincere. I mean, he truly uh, didn't associate as a sinner. He didn't. He upheld all of the laws, so his prayer could have truly been sincere, but it reeks of self-advertisement and self-glorification. We hear no praise to God. We hear no confession. We hear no reverence to the Lord in his prayer, just excessive self-adoration. I'm not like other people. Thank you. He has held rigorously to the laws, ceremonies, traditions. He's made his religion a public show, but he showed no love and no respect and no reverence to God in his prayer. Even his thanks in this prayer is one designed to exalt himself. And what he fails to acknowledge is that beautifully spoken prayers mean nothing if in the heart there is no real faith or humility. He had great words, but no real faith or humility. So let's talk about rules for a moment. He rigorously followed uh, ceremonies and traditions of the law. So rules instead of relationship is a fatal mistake. If it's all about rules and there's no relationship, it is a fatal mistake. Rule keeping does not make you acceptable to God. Rules aren't bad. Your family has them. 
Society has them, organizations have them, this church has rules. But the Pharisees not only followed the Mosaic law, they made up their own rules. They made up their own laws that weren't in scripture as most people didn't own a copy of the Torah. They could actually overhear the Pharisees saying this is a rule, this is a law, and believe it to be true. So that must be in scripture if the religious elite of the day were saying that we need to do it that way. If we were to mimic their lifestyles, it's mimicking more than just scripture. It's extra laws and rules. People were convinced that it was in fact biblical. So let's pretend that the leadership team of Redeemer stood here one Sunday morning and declared, coffee from this day forward, believe this to be true, God has spoken. This is scriptural, and this day forward, coffee is a sin. So let's just show the room divided by this new law. Stand up if you're like Christy Tackett. You drink a lot of coffee in the morning at home in secret. (laughs) You come to church, one of your colleagues says, Christy, you want a cup of coffee? No, it's okay, thanks. Really? Like, you don't need caffeine in the morning? Stand up if you're a secret coffee drinker. Come on. (laughs) Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. You drink coffee at home, but you just need one cup. There's more of you. Stand up. Let's be honest. There's a lot of you raising your hands, and there's a couple here. You secret sinners. (laughs) right? Your sin is in secret. Now, because the leadership team of the church said coffee is a sin... Stand up if you have coffee with you now. Come on. Yeah. Y'all are proud. Cheers, right? You're all public sinners. You have nothing to hide. You drag your sin into this sanctuary, this holy place of God, with your French vanilla or hazelnut cream and two and a half Splendas, because sweet and low's not good for you. You're all sinners, and you should be disgusted with yourselves. And here's what was happening in that day. All of you in the room that don't drink coffee, and you're just naturally high all the time on the Holy Spirit, you don't need caffeine, you don't need that jolt every morning. You wake up thinking of your quiet time and scripture to memorize that day, not walking to the Keurig desperate for a cup of coffee. All of you who are clean today of this sin eventually would look around even this church even this temple, right? And you would look around and see all the people and wonder if they secretly drink coffee. And then you would see people that are blatantly walking in sin with their coffee here in the sanctuary. And you would get together with other non-coffee drinkers, other pure people, and you would look at them and say, look at them, those nasty sinners. (laughs) She even uses sweet and low. (laughs) This is what was happening. A self-righteous party completely missing the point of Jesus' ministry. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. We have another guy distanced from the community of prayer for a different reason, though. He would not even look up to heaven. Let your imagination show you this picture. He, He can't even raise his eyes. 
can't lift his chin, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. The burden of guilt and shame. His sins weighed heavily on him and even his physical posture, say posture, His physical posture proves his feelings of unworthiness in the presence of God. He beat his breast in sorrow and repentance, the same reaction to those who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. Listen to Luke 23, 48. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight, this sight, the ruthless and cold-blooded murder of Christ, those that gathered, when they saw that take place, they beat their breast and went away. This guy's beating his chest. I, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy. I deserve punishment. I mean, Lord, I can't even enter your presence. You're that great, and I'm a sinner. The wages of my sin is, is death. That's what I deserve. This is a prayer for pardon. We see it in Psalm 25 as well. For the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, though it's great. The only thing this man can offer is not a list of all the things he does right and not a list of all the rules that he follows and not a reputation of morality. But he self-identifies as a sinner and he offers to God his faith and his willingness to repent. Music to the ears of the Messiah who began his ministry with repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn from your ways and come and follow. And Jesus concludes in verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For anyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The very essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Humility to admit our inadequacy, to measure up, and to come in sorrow and repentance and say, God, have mercy on me. We see Jesus speaking often to the issues of righteousness, pleading with people to understand their complete inability to earn or deserve or work towards salvation, but to come to the Lord in faith and repentance. I can't do it on my own. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to come to you, God, on my own. I've got nothing. The Pharisee describes his morality while the tax collector begs for mercy to escape the judgment that he deserves. And he's justified before God. He's made righteous in the eyes of God because he was truly brokenhearted over his sin. Consider Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, admitting that we have no atonement for our sin outside of Christ Jesus. Poor in spirit, admitting that we come to God as empty, impoverished, bankrupt, desperate beggars. This is how we enter into God's presence. Basically, if you walk around with your nose in the air because you think you have it all together, spiritually speaking, you'll end up flat on your face. This is about humbling ourselves in the presence of God. If you praise yourself, God will humble you. If you humble yourself, God will lift you up. 
This all began due to a comparison. Two men, they go to the temple and they pray. We have got to be careful not to make the mistake of comparing ourselves with others and gaining confidence by what we see. I'm a sinner, but, 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 mm. Mm. Him? Pfft. I'm a sinner, but I, I, I got it together. I need God, yeah, but compared to her, <laughs> I mean, I have it all together. That's what comparison does. Our standard for comparison is the Lord. Our standard for comparison is God himself, and Romans 3.23 offers us a common denominator among all of humanity, for all, say all, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all got that in common today. There's a great warning in this parable for the church. A religious person can actually get it all wrong. A religious person can actually get it all wrong. However, is there hope for the Pharisee? Of course there is. I love, Bill preached a sermon one time and, he, and, and we were sitting around in a creative meeting and he said, I want to title this sermon, Confessions of a Recovering Pharisee. We've all got a little bit of that in us, don't we? Let's be honest. Is there hope for the Pharisee? Yes. One of the most self-righteous, rule-crazy Pharisees of all time was saved by God's mercy, the Apostle Paul. The man who wrote most of the New Testament, travels the world telling people about Jesus, says this, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Listen up, he says. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Humility before God. I don't know if you can relate, but as we study the parables this summer, what I've noticed is that the kingdom of God is full of surprises. The kingdom of God is full of surprises. And this is one of the surprises from this parable. The kingdom of God is where grace reigns, not achievement. And your entire life, you're told by everybody from a young age, parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, employers, professors, friends, every, you've got to measure up. You've got to achieve this, this, and this to be successful in this life, don't you? But the kingdom of God is where grace reigns, not achievement. Here we see a prideful, self-righteous, religious man is humbled while a genuinely sorrowful sinner is exalted. So let me wrap up this teaching with two thoughts, and you'll see them on the screen. This is what I, I beg you to leave uh, this place with these two thoughts in your mind. And here's the first. We must recognize our depravity and depend on the mercy of God to enter his kingdom. We must recognize our depravity, and we've got to depend Oh, it's hard to depend on something else or someone else, isn't it? Because we can do it on our own. I've got it all together. No, we've got to depend on the mercy of God to enter his kingdom. And the second point that I need you to leave this place with is this. Go to the next one. God's love is not earned. 
It is freely given to those who are conscious of their need of it and yet their unworthiness of it. It's not just receiving this gift, but knowing I don't deserve this gift. If we can leave with that humility, with that attitude this morning, then we understand this teaching. So as we close this morning, would you just stand to your feet? We're going to worship in a moment. But if you recognize your depravity and totally depend on the mercy of God today, and if you're conscious of your need of God's love, yet you know you're unworthy of God's love, I want to invite you to respond and worship through action. To take action, to respond. Don't hear and go on, but actually take a moment and respond. I am moved time and time again as I see the, the posture of those that worship in Scripture posture reveals our attitude. This tax collector in this parable demonstrates his humility and his reverence in God's presence with his posture. Can't look up to heaven. So humble before God. So I invite you to a specific posture today. I'm going to pray over us as we begin to worship. And the specific posture I ask you to respond with today is to lift your hands. At some point as I pray, lift your hands. And I don't know, this may be uncomfortable to you. And I'm sorry, but I'm not. But let's respond with posture today. Let's do something. We, we talk about our minds and hearts and spirits, souls, attitudes, all these things. What about the body? What do our bodies do to show our humility to God? What do our bodies do to cry out to the Lord so we lift our hands in reverence like the tax collector? Lord, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. We lift our hands in praise. Lord, you are everything you say you are. And I worship you today. We lift our hands in desire like a toddler reaching out for her daddy. God, we reach up to you. With our bodies, we respond and so bow your heads. And as I pray, lift your hands as you feel led to respond. Lift your hands as the Holy Spirit prompts you to respond with your posture, with reverence or praise or desire. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, therefore remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and you were without God. Jesus, we're all so guilty of inconsistent temperatures of faith. I'm guilty. I pray, but sometimes with so little passion and affection. I worship, but some days with blank expressions. We confess our seasons of being lukewarm in faith. We confess our failure to remember. We confess choosing not to remember some days. So remind us this day that we were once hopeless without you. Remind us that our condition without you was one of total depravity and emptiness. We were alienated because of our ignorance and unbelief. We had no hope 
we were destined to eternal punishment. And as we are reminded of this today, Lord, we don't simply think about it. We don't want to leave this place today just aware in our minds of our former state of depravity. We want to be gripped by it. Today, God, we ask that the memory of our hopelessness would seize us and move us. You have saved us. God, you have saved us from the horror of sin and shame and condemnation. You've saved us from our iniquity and failures. We were guilty. Our existence was meaningless. But God, Ephesians 2.13 tells a different story of our identity. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We remember what you've done for us, Lord. Your blood dripped out of your body into the soil of this earth, the soil below you, so that we could be brought near to you, God. Your blood fell to the earth, and in the same moment, so did immeasurable grace, grace that is poured out abundantly, grace that is too great to comprehend. Remind us, that today we absolutely cannot boast. May we be a humble people in your presence, God. May we never forget that without you, Jesus, we are self-righteous Pharisees. Instead, today we cherish the forgiveness of our sins. Oh Lord, today we wanna leave this place loving you more intensely than we did yesterday. Help us, God. Help me, God, to feel the wonder of our justification before you. For while we were still sinners, you died for us. The gravity of our sins was great. You washed us white as snow. You washed us white as pure snow, God. We're moved by your love. Our words of affection for you don't linger in our throats right now. We've got too much to say about you, God. We have too much to be grateful for to stand and sing praise songs with blank faces today. We don't passively enter into your presence, but Lord, we cling to you with intense devotion. You're our hope, you're our salvation. We exalt you, Lord, we praise you, God. We adore you, Father. Our passion moves us to action now because we can't resist you. Our minds and our hearts and our bodies long to engage with you. We are thoroughly and utterly and radically focused on you, Lord. So search our hearts today and clean house. We've done nothing, you've done everything. To your name be the glory, Father. Light a fire in me today that cannot be extinguished. Light a fire in each one of us that spreads to those around us, Father. In the name of Christ Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords and friend of sinners and tax collectors. In the name of Christ Jesus, who found me in a pit of despair. I was far away and you brought me near by your blood. In the name of Christ Jesus, who turns our mess into a miracle. We pray and we worship. Amen. <laughs>